as you get these, look over them. And if what you'll notice is there's, there's going to be two covenants this year. One is for adults and middle schoolers and high schoolers. There's another one for children, so preschoolers and elementary schoolers. They have their own. So if you need one of those, raise your hand, and we'll make sure you get one of those as well. If you, need, if you have a preschooler or an elementary schooler, you'll need to raise your hand. And we'll get those passed out to you all as well. As you're looking over these, you might notice that it's, it's a little different. In years past, we've you know, picked two or three things that we want to work on in our relationship with God. This year, the focus of our covenant will be a letter. It will be a letter, a, a letter that you write to God. A letter that you write to God. And so when you get these, they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. There's a description of what we're doing on the front. In the middle, there are ten areas that we have identified. There certainly could be more than these, but, but there's ten in here that we've identified as ways that we grow spiritually. And so what we're inviting everyone at St. Paul's to do this year, whether you're a parent or a child, it doesn't matter, is to look at these, pray over these, And decide where God might be convicting you. What is an area that He really wants to work on in your life this year? We're going to spend the next three or four weeks talking about this. The charge is for you to pray about this at home. Pray about it with your children. And you'll see here there's even a convenient place to write your letter. And write that letter to God. And you want to do it before January 29th. Now this is a letter nobody else is going to see it. It's between you and God. But on January 29th, we're going to have a celebration of these covenants. We're going to come back together and we're going to celebrate what God wants to do in our lives in 2012. Now parents, or maybe grandparents, it is your responsibility to do this with your children. We will not do it at Kids Church. This is faith at home. This is you and your children talking about God, talking about Jesus. So do this with your children so they can have something to bring back on the 29th as well. A letter to God. I think that's all the housekeeping work about the covenants. If you have any questions, um, you can ask me after the service. But if we're going to make these covenants, we really got to know what it means. What does it mean to have a covenant? What does that mean? And so... That's our topic for this morning. What is a covenant? Now, I would suggest to you that there are typically two ways that we think about covenants. Two ways that most people, not everybody, I guess, but most people think about a covenant. The first way strikes fear into your hearts. It strikes fear. And when I'm talking about this covenant, I'm thinking about your homeowners association. Thankfully, Ben Ben is my homeowner's vice president. He's great. We have a nice homeowner's association. (laughs) But think about your HOA. It strikes fear into your hearts. These are called covenants and restrictions. In my neighborhood, it's called restricted covenants. And it's basically 
Well, it's really not what you can and can't do. It's really what you can't do. And so, these covenants are restricted. They restrict the type of building, the location, the size, the animals you can have. How many satellite dishes you can have? If you want to make an addition, you have to turn over your oldest child to get it. You get the idea. This, this doesn't sound like a pleasant covenant. We do it. We don't all do it. But, but, but many of us enter into this covenant because we like the house. We want to be there. And we're willing to you know, exchange a few things to get there. But we always wonder, what's going to happen if I don't bring in my garbage can? Are they watching me? A second covenant that we often enter into, especially if you've ever had children or currently have them. This is the covenant that I like to call small child at the dinner table who won't eat their broccoli. This covenant usually goes something like this. Okay, honey, if you eat your broccoli, you can have some dessert. You don't realize it, but at that moment, you're entering into a covenant. This child has two choices. He can either eat the broccoli and get dessert, or he doesn't have to. It's a battle of the wills. And this kind of lines up with with what we find on the internet as a definition. Dictionary.com. Preachers used to turn to Webster's. Now we turn to Dictionary.com. And we see that a covenant is an agreement, usually formal, between two or more, more persons to do or not to do something specified. So they either will eat their dessert or they won't. Not the dessert, they'll definitely eat that. They'll eat their broccoli, they will not. But the principle is the same. There's an effort. If I do something, I'll get what I want. I'm I'm in this covenant. If, If the children do something, they'll get something back. In a few minutes, we're going to enter into a covenant. We're going to renew our baptismal covenant. Young Marshall is getting baptized this morning. Marshall's parents will make a covenant for him. And so they're not only renewing their own covenant, they're making a new one for their son. And all of us will renew our covenants with God, our baptismal covenants. And when we do that, we'll remember the things that God has done for us in the form of the Apostles' Creed. You know, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, these great things that God has done for us. And then we'll we'll make a few promises. We'll promise to persevere in resisting evil. We'll promise to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll promise to seek and, lo- seek and serve Christ. And you're going to promise this, and this is a tricky one. You'll promise to love your neighbor as yourself. You'll promise to strive for justice and peace among all people. This is a covenant we're entering into. And so ask yourself this question. How will I approach This covenant. Is it like the HOA? Am I going to get up now and run out those doors? Or is it like the broccoli? Well, you know, if I do those things at the end of the covenant, maybe God will bless me. Like He says He does at the beginning. Thankfully, these aren't our only two options. When we think about covenant, there's something about a biblical covenant which is Far different than what the world promises. Far different than the HOA. Far different than the dinner table covenant. What we see in the Bible is covenant is about relationship. 
about relationship. What kind of relationship would you have, let's say, in your marriage covenant? If that whole covenant was based on, well, if the wife does this, the husband will do this. And if the wife gives this, the husband will give that. That's not, that's not the covenant that we're going for. It's about a relationship. And so when we see covenant in the Bible, we see it's about two parties, two people coming together to be in relationship. Not out of they're going to do one of the things for one another. They will do that. But, but more than that, it's because they love each other. It's based on love. And so we have... Our most, one of the most famous covenants in the Bible we read this morning in Genesis. Maybe you want to open your Bibles. Um, there are the red books in front of you. Not the garnet ones, but the red ones. Um, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. So what is going on here? What kind of covenant... There's two people in this covenant. One is is Abram, whose name will eventually be changed to Abraham. I will probably use those two interchangeably. So we have Abram and we have God. Now what has happened to this point? Well, Genesis 1 and 2 talk about creation. Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall. The first sin of man and woman and and the, the breaking of their relationship with God. And then Genesis chapters 4 all the way up through chapter 11 show the effects of this sin. And it's not getting better. It gets worse, actually. And so we have God and and Noah and and, and eliminating almost the whole creation except for an elect few. And God restoring creation and, and then sin persisting. And it doesn't stop. It's never ending. It continues to this day. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12, where where, where God has has let this sin go on for so long to show us how bad it really is. And then he calls Abraham. Abraham was from a city called Ur. Ur was way over there in the crescent circle, Euphrates, Mesopotamia, um, Iraq, if you will. He calls Abraham from Ur. And he brings them to Canaan, to, to the land of Israel. And he promises Abraham two things in chapter 12. He promises Abraham that he'll be a father of a great nation. And he promises Abraham that this nation will bring blessings to everybody, to all the nations of the world. Now there are two more covenants in Genesis, one in chapter 15. And chapter 15 expands upon the first part of that. You're going to be a great nation. Chapter 15 says, I'm going to give you people and I'm going to give you land. Those are two components of a nation, people and land. And if you read forward, you get to chapter 17. Your nation is going to bless the world. We're going to make you different. We're going to make you holy. The sign of that will be circumcision. You will be different from all the other countries. And you will bless the world. Those are the promises. And so we come to chapter 12. Abraham is getting pretty old. He doesn't have people. He doesn't have land. He's fought several battles. I'm sure almost lost his life several times. And so we're here in chapter 15. And he's saying, God, what is going on? What are you going to do? 
You've made these promises. How are you going to keep them? And so at the beginning of chapter 15, God says, fear not. And Abraham says, whatever. Lord God, what did you give me? For I continue childless. And God, I could see him probably smirking. Abraham, go outside. Look at the sky. There would not have been an unnatural light for miles around. It's so pitch black darkness. Look at the sky. Do you see those stars? Can you count them? Your people will exceed the number of the stars in the sky. And Abraham believes him. There in verse 6, he believed God. And this is one of the most important verses in your Bible. Abraham believed God. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was a sinner. Abraham was doing, you know, who God knows what. He was a sinner just like everybody else. But he believed the words of God. Unlike Adam and Eve, if you think about that. He believed the words of God. And God counted that as if Abraham was righteous, as if he was holy. So Abraham, he's got this people promise taken care of. And he says, God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans. This is verse seven to give you this land to possess. Again, Abraham says, well, that's great, God. But how do I know that? How do I know you can give me this land? I'm just one person with my wife. I have no children. They're not here yet. There's these people in the land. They own it. How how am I going to get it? How do I know? And this brings us to our covenant. God responds, not with words, but with action. God doesn't say to Abraham, well, just pray about it. Just pray a little bit harder. God doesn't say, you need more faith, Abraham. No. He responds with action. He says, Abraham, find these birds. Find this ram. Cut them open. Spill blood. Set them out in two rows. And so Abraham does that. God puts Abraham into this deep sleep. He gives him this amazing vision that, that we can see actually happening. And he says to him, your descendants... Those ones who will number the stars in the sky will be sojourners. They will not be in this land for a long time. They're going to reside in a foreign country, but I will return them to this land. Mark my words, Abraham. And then God himself is present. Let's see in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So this idea of smoke and fire in the wilderness wanderings are leading Israel across the Red Sea. God shows himself. The glory of the Lord presents himself as this smoke, this fog. And so here we have in Abraham, God himself, Ratifying this covenant. And so, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. 
from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Chaldamites, Hittites, Perizzites, and so forth and so on. God has made this promise. He's given Abraham this sign. He is going to give them the land. Now, how then are we to understand what is going on here? Sure, Israel would get the land after hundreds of years, after 400 years in slavery, they'd be delivered to Israel. But they can't hold on to it. They lose it. They break a, a, a third covenant that we see with Moses on Mount Sinai. God promises them land. God teaches them how to be holy and they won't do it. They can't follow the law. They sin and sin and sin. The sin problem is still happening. And so they can't stay in the land. Some maybe would say that they have it now. They have a nation of Israel established after World War II. But really... Really, is a secular Jewish state what, what God was envisioning in this great promise to Abraham here in Genesis? Genesis? No, I don't think so. So how do we understand this covenant that doesn't seem like it's being fulfilled? God made a promise. What are we going to do about it? One thing to keep in mind is that God was the only one who walked through those dead animals. God was the only one who ratified this covenant. And so it's solely the promise of God that is going to make it happen. And so we have to look at this covenant and see that something has changed, something is different. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this covenant. That Jesus Christ has has come. That Jesus Christ has constituted a new people. That Jesus Christ has promised us land, but it's not the land of Israel. It's the land of the new Jerusalem. The new heavens and the new earth. Eternal life in the presence of God. That's how we see this covenant fulfilled. And so when we look at that long-range view, how do we approach this text? Sometimes we want to approach this text as if we're Abraham. Okay, maybe we're a bunch of Abrahams. And and if we were doing that, I would say, okay, Abrahams, God is calling you. Just have a little faith. And that would be well and good. But that makes it about us, doesn't it? makes it about us. If we just had enough faith, we'd be good enough Christians. No, when we read this text, we need to look at Abraham and we need to see Jesus Christ. That sure, we're descendants of Abraham, but even before we're descendants of Abraham, we're descendants of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John's Gospel, He says, think about this. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus precedes Abraham. Jesus precedes everything. And so we're children of Christ first. 
Abraham is a children, is a child of Christ, a child of God, and we see in him this anticipation of Jesus. In the land, we see this anticipation of the new heavens, of the new earth, of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We're not Abraham, we're the children. The children of God. We are the people, the descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. We're called to be holy. Now there is another level in this promise and it has to do with God's work. How is he going to fulfill it? Okay, these promises are great, but what's he going to do about it? And and remember, so, so God walks through these animals. Abraham does not. God ratifies this covenant. Abraham does not. Abraham's sleeping. And so, so when somebody ratifies this covenant, um, Mike had a great point in his 9 o'clock sermon that the Old Testament word for covenant really means cut, to cut something. And so you don't have a covenant without blood being spilled. And so they cut the animals to signify the covenant. The implication is if this covenant is broken... Whoever ratifies it will cut, will be cut. They will spill blood if the covenant is broken. Now God's the only one who walked through these birds. And so when they lose the land, when they fall short of the glory of God, when they can't uphold the law, who's going to pay for that? God will pay for that. Jesus Christ will pay for that. On the cross, our failure to stay in the land because we we, we can't be holy, our failure to do that is paid for by Jesus Christ. Those animals cut from head to toe are spread by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so in Jesus, this more spilling of blood and this resurrection from the dead, we are promised a new covenant. A covenant that fulfills every single one that came before it. And we'll talk about that more next week. But just know this, that Jesus came, He bore the penalty for our sin on the cross. He has become like the dead animals of the covenant. And He has reconstituted the people of God. There's a new people of God. It's not ethnic. You don't have to be Jewish to be the people of God. The new people of God is not marked by circumcision, but by faith. Remember verse 6. Abraham believed he had faith and God counted it as righteousness. That's how we enter into the people of God. The family of God is our faith. I suspect that there's more than a few of you this morning that have been running from God like He's your homeowners association. I don't know why you're running, but there's something about your unholiness, something about your sin, something you know is wrong, and you don't want to. You can't. You're afraid. That's not the way it is, friends. Perhaps just as likely, if not more likely, there's a few of us in here who are approaching God like the child at the dinner table. 
okay, God, I'll do this if you do that. I'll try to be good. You know, if my good is a little bit better than my bad, maybe you'll bless me. Maybe you'll, you'll grant me that eternal life, just as long as it balances out at the end of the day. Maybe that's you this morning. God's not like that. He's not your parents negotiating a deal for dessert. God has fulfilled His covenant. He knows you can't do it. That's why He didn't make you walk through the dead animals. The only reason to fear the promises of God is if you don't believe. If you don't believe, He'll really fulfill them. Adam and Eve in the garden had no reason to be ashamed of God until they decided that they didn't believe what He told them. He said, don't eat the tree. It's not good for you. They ate it because they didn't have faith. And they were ashamed. You don't need to run away. You don't need to negotiate. Just accept this offer, this grace. God has fulfilled it on the cross. You can try to earn it, but you'll never get it. You can live in fear and you'll die afraid. You can live in faith given to us by Jesus Christ. No matter what you do, except for maybe failing to bring in the garbage cans, no matter what you do, the HOA is not coming after you. No matter what you eat, God has promised His dessert for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so what then of our covenants, of our baptismal covenant that we will make here shortly, or of, of this covenant? We're not asking you to, to save yourself. You're, the covenant has been made. We're asking you to be intentional, to seek God, to seek God by, by just writing something down, saying, praying, God, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? If I believe in you, what, what are you going to do in me? Ask him that question. Write it down. Write this letter. And then, and then for the rest of the year, just remember two things about this. Okay, two things. The first thing is whatever you write down, you're going to fall woefully short. Woefully short. You, you're, you maybe you'll set a goal for finances. Um, you probably won't make it, and that's okay. Maybe you're going to say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every morning, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll get going on it. And you'll read your Bible more, maybe, but you're going to fall short. That's why this isn't our covenant. This isn't the covenant. That's the covenant right there. But what it will make you do, the second thing, if you do this, if you participate, you'll remember the covenant. Because you'll fall short, because your heart will be turned to Jesus over and over again, the most important thing this will help you do is to remember what He did for us. That's all you need to do. Remember, if you remind yourself of that daily and daily and daily, what you do will have no matter. You'll start doing stuff because you love Jesus. Because He first loved you. You won't be trying to earn it. You won't be afraid of it. You'll just sit in the promises and the glory of God. Y'all would pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we um, come before you to remember, to remember your Son, Jesus Christ, what he did for us, what he's doing for us, Lord. 
We pray that, that as we enter um, into to being intentional with you for, for another season of our lives, that you would um, not make this about what we do, but about what you've already done. Help us, Lord, to, um, to have no fear of you. Help us, Lord, to stop negotiating with you. And just to receive your grace and mercy. We ask this through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.